Hey, we're going to continue our sermon series today through the Gospel of Luke. So if you have your Bibles today, feel free to open up to Luke chapter 11. If you don't, that's okay. You can get the YouVersion Bible app. If you've got that on your phone. You can click on the More tab, then Events, and then you can find all of the information that you normally find in your bulletin uh, right there. And uh, the lyrics are going to be, or I'm sorry, not the lyrics, the words will be behind the, the screen behind me. Um, we are going to continue this, and this is really a continuation of what we talked about last week. If you don't remember, uh, there's a group of people. Jesus was uh, performing miracles. He cast out a demon out of a man, and there's a group of people who did not believe that Jesus was doing that on his own power, that they thought he was doing this through the power of a demon and ultimately through the power of Satan. There were other people who just marveled at what Jesus did. There were other people who asked for a sign from what Jesus was doing. They're saying, hey, that's not enough. I need a sign. If I'm going to accept you for who you say you are, Jesus, I need a sign. This is what this passage of Scripture is going to focus on. Jesus is correcting those people as they're asking for a sign. This is what he says here. We're only going to read about four verses today. Luke chapter 11, starting in verse 29. It says, when the crowds were increasing, he began to say, this generation is an evil generation. It seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah. For as Jonah became a sign to the people of Nineveh, so the Son of Man will be to this generation. The Queen of the South will rise up at the judgment with the men of this generation and condemn them. For she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And behold, something greater than Solomon is here. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and behold, something greater than Jonah is here. I know uh, if you're anything like me when you first read uh, this passage of Scripture, you might be like, uh, what is this talking about? Like, what, what does this mean? Why does Jesus go so far in depth here in these couple of examples and uh, honestly, they're kind of obscure examples, right? You might have heard that and you're like, what is going on here? Well, we're going to talk about that, what that means for our lives today. The reason that I picked out such a, a short passage of Scripture, I really feel led as I, as I read through this, um, and I was studying this and just praying about it, I really felt like a lot of us today may be susceptible to the same things that these people fell into, the same traps that these people fell into. So we're going to talk about that and uh, what it means for our lives today. Before we do that, though, let's just go before uh, God and ask him for his help with that. Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you that we have access to it freely, that we can read it without uh, worries of, of people coming after us as there are in some parts of the world. Jesus, I, I pray that you would soften our hearts to this passage of Scripture, to your word this morning, God. That if there's something that we need to change, God, you would do it. You would help us to glorify you with everything that we've got. Even if that means that that change is really hard. I pray that we would be willing to do it, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Hey, have you ever been insulted? Of course you have, right? Uh, everyone in the room has probably been insulted, whether it be from a friend or a close uh, family member or maybe a boss or maybe someone who didn't like your driving and gave you a certain finger to show you that they didn't like your driving, right? Like we've all been insulted by a certain person or in certain ways. We get that. Now, I have a question for you. Do you like to be around the people that insult you? I'm getting some blank scares. You're like, this is a trick question. No, I, I promise it's really not. Of course you don't, right? We don't like to be around people that insult us. 
And what's really interesting to me about this passage of Scripture particularly is Jesus insults His listeners. Look at this. He's got a lot of people that are coming around Him. It says that the crowds were increasing, and He says, hey, y'all are evil. Now, I don't know about you, but this is not all rainbows and butterflies that Jesus is talking about, right? Like if someone says, hey, you, you're evil. You might be like, what? who are you, right? I mean, these crowds, I mean, they would have been put back. And the interesting part about this, as, as I took a look at this and I studied this passage of Scripture, the more in-depth you look at this passage, the more in-depth the insult becomes. You see, Jesus, he uses two examples. First of all, are the people from Nineveh that Jonah came to preach at. And then second of all, there's this queen of the south, as he refers to it. In 1 Kings chapter 10, she's referred to as the queen of Sheba. But these two groups are groups of people that are all made up of Gentiles. And Jesus says, those Gentiles will condemn you. Now, for an Israelite to hear that, Israelites, they thought they were everything. I mean, they thought, man, we're the center of the world. God loves us. He hates everybody else. I mean, they had it kind of off base here. Remember, because God used Israel to reach the entire world with his message of love and redemption for everyone. Israel became very insular minded. And so when they're saying, uh, or when Jesus is saying to them that there are Gentiles that are going to judge you, that are going to condemn you, this is a huge insult. I want to go over these two uh, examples that Jesus uses here because as we look at these examples, the insult just stacks up and up and up. It says in verse 30, For as Jonah came, became a sign to the people of Nineveh, so will the Son of Man be to this generation. Now you might be asking, okay, what's up with this? What's going on? Well, we're probably all familiar with the story of Jonah, right? It's an Old Testament prophet. God calls him to go to a Gentile city, very evil Gentile city known as Nineveh. Jonah goes the opposite direction. There's a giant storm that pops up and everyone's freaking out. Jonah fesses up to it. And so they throw him overboard by his request. And then look at this, Jonah chapter one, verse 17. It says that there was a giant fish that got appointed to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. There's a lot of similarities when it comes to Jonah's calling as Jesus. You see, Jonah was gone for three nights in the belly of this whale. So Jesus was gone for three days in the tomb. And then Jonah, he finally gets spat out by this fish three days later. And he says, okay, I get it, God. I'll go to Nineveh. And look what happens. It says that he goes to Nineveh. He rose and went to Nineveh, and it was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breath. Verse 4, look at this. Jonah began to go into the city going a day's journey. Now, here's what they don't tell you in Sunday school when you're a little kid, when they're teaching you the story of Jonah. Jonah throws himself a giant pity party. He does not have a good attitude, even after he gets spat out from the fish. He goes there, and it says that Nineveh is this huge city. It would take you three days to walk through. He goes one day, and this is his message. Look here in verse five. I mean, it is, I mean, just, or I'm sorry, in the end of verse four, it is just a, a pitiful message. If I gave a message like that, you'd probably fire me as your pastor. It's literally like a sentence long. He says, yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. That's it. That's all he says. No, hey, God is trying to get a hold of you. Listen, hey, you got to listen to me. Hey, listen, God loves you. You just need to repent and he will, he, he, will, he will relent. No, no, no. He doesn't even say, he doesn't even say why. 
He doesn't say who this is going, going to be done through. He doesn't say anything about God. just says, hey, Nineveh is going to be overthrown. For all they know, they could assume that it's an enemy army. Uh, they could assume, oh, maybe we'll all get sick and die. I mean, they just don't know because Jonah doesn't tell them because he doesn't have a good attitude. And yet, and I think this is so good that Jesus uses this as an example because it really cuts deep to the Israelites that he's talking to. Look at the Ninevites' response. By this one message, this one one line message here, yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Look at how the people respond. Look at verse 5 with me. It says, And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth, and the greatest of them to the least of them. The word reached the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth and ashes. This is a common way of mourning in the Old Testament. And he issued a proclamation. This is the king of Nineveh, and he published through Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither a man nor beast Herd nor flock, taste anything, let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil ways and from the violence that is in his hands. Now, the king of Nineveh, I mean, he takes this seriously. He goes, hey, listen, I want you to stop everything. Don't even drink water. Don't even let your dogs drink water, okay? You don't, stop filling up their water buckets. Just stop. I need you to stop and call out to God. This is important. And look at this. All why? Verse nine. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. So stop everything. Don't even feed your dogs. Why? at a chance that God could stop and forgive us and, and relent of his anger. At a chance. The people of, of Nineveh didn't even know that God would stop. And Jesus, he uses this as an example to shame the Israelites. Because what is Jesus' message? Not a chance, but a 100% guarantee that if you repent of your ways, if you accept me as your Lord and Savior, then you will be saved. It's 100% guarantee that Jesus is preaching. Jonah, he doesn't give that to them. He says, hey, you're going to be overthrown in 40 days. Basically, good luck. I'm out of here. I mean, that's Jonah's message to them. And the people of Nineveh come to faith because of it. And Jesus is saying, hey, listen, there's something so much greater here. Look at verse 32. It says, the men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And behold, something greater than Jonah is here. Yeah, Jesus, you think so? Jesus, in the flesh, God himself performing miracles and preaching to you, you think is a little bit greater than one line message, right? I mean, yes, absolutely. And he's using this example to shame the Israelites. He uses one more example here. And it's in verse 31. He says, The queen of the south will rise up at the judgment with the men of this generation and condemn them. Now, who is this lady? Who, who is the queen of the south? Well, in 1 Kings chapter 10, this is kind of used interchangeably. Her name is either the queen of the south or the queen of Sheba. But this is who he's referring to. It's in Solomon's days. Now, if you're unfamiliar with Solomon, this is the third king of Israel. He's the wisest dude ever to walk on the planet. Uh, God used him to write the book of Proverbs. And this dude, because of his wisdom, had a lot of wealth. I mean, this dude, who's the, who's the richest guy in the world? Like Jeff Bezos or something? Does anybody know? 
I, have I get a lot of, is it okay? I'm getting some, I'm getting some nods. I don't know. This Solomon's, Solomon's riches, I mean, would put Jeff Bezos to shame. It would look like Jeff is living in a shack or something. Okay. Like, I mean, Solomon had a lot of wealth and because of it, he got a lot of people's attention, including this lady known as the queen of Sheba in first Kings chapter 10. She comes to check it out. And look what happens. It says, when the queen of Sheba had seen all the wisdom of Solomon and the house that he had built, the food of his table, the seating of his officials, and the attendance of his servants, their clothing, his cupbearers, and his burnt offerings that he offered at the house of the Lord, there was no more breath in her. She heard of this wisdom. She heard of all of the riches. She comes to check it out, and she's left breathless. Now, she already knows what this guy has. And when she shows up, she goes, whoa, literally left breathless. And when she finally does speak, look at what she says in verse 6. She says this, The report was true that I heard in my own land of your words and your wisdom, but I did not believe the reports until I came and my own eyes had seen it. And behold, the half was not told to me. Your wisdom and prosperity surpass the report that I heard. Happy are your men. Happy are your servants who continually stand before you and hear your wisdom. Blessed be the Lord your God. And this is where Jesus is using this example to shame the Israelites. Because he's saying, hey, there's this Gentile who heard uh, rumors about this really wise, really prosperous king of Israel. She went to check it out. She's amazed by it and comes to faith because of it. All because Solomon is being used by God to have this wisdom, to have this prosperity, to show people who God is. And she says, blessed be the Lord your God who has delighted in you and set you on the throne of Israel because the Lord loved Israel forever. He has made you king, that you may execute justice and righteousness. This is what Jesus is saying. There are Gentiles in the Old Testament who have come to faith because of what they saw, because of what they heard. You have me in the flesh. You have me right here. I'm performing miracles. I'm preaching to you. I'm God in the flesh. And you still won't come to faith. This is what he's saying as he insults them. He's doing it lovingly because Jesus loves these people so much that he says, hey, you haven't come to faith. Listen, listen, listen. this is not going to end up well for you. This is not going to end up well for you. There were these people who came to faith basically on little crumbs of truth. You have me, the truth, in your sight and you still will not come to faith. Now, we look at these people and we might be saying, okay, Guys, yeah, Israel was, man, Israel is way off base. It's absolutely true. They should have believed Jesus. They should have had faith in Jesus. That is true. But honestly, I think that many of us are susceptible in our culture today to falling in the same trap that they fell into. Uh, I think there are about four different traps that these people fell into that we are susceptible to fall into today, that we could veer off course and fall in the same traps. Now, before I get into that list, I just want to commend you all. And I don't think that we as a church have fallen into any of these traps that the Israelites have, uh, at least since I've been your pastor. And I want to just commend you. Again, I know I've said this before, but we've made a lot of changes in the past couple of years. 
That's hard for a church to go through. That's really difficult. And you guys have done amazingly with that. You've had faith and you've had flexibility. And those are the two things I've asked you for. You guys are doing a good job. But I, I want to be that GPS voice that says, continue on. You ever just like set your GPS on your phone, you stick it in your cup holder or on your dock, whatever you got, and you get on the road and it says, continue on for 800 miles, right? And you're like, oh, come on. Yeah, that's what I'm saying to you. I'm the GPS voice. Let's keep on track. Let's keep going in the right direction. Will it be a long haul? Yeah. Is it going to be tough sometimes? Absolutely. But we got to keep on track here. We got to keep going because we are in a culture who is highly susceptible to veering off course, just like these Israelites veered off course. Here's what I want to point out to you, four ways that they veered off course. The first one actually comes from the last couple of verses uh, from our last sermon. So this happens right before Jesus starts uh, insulting these, condemning these listeners that he's hearing about uh, that are seeking for a sign. Remember, there was that lady that basically said, hey, blessed is your mom, Jesus. She's amazing. And Jesus actually corrects her. She wants to worship Mary. Jesus corrects her here in verse 28, and he says, Blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it. So if you hear the word of God and you keep it, you are more blessed than Jesus' earthly mother. That's what Jesus' words are saying here. But look at inherently what she is doing. She's veering off to these peripheral issues. She wants to look at Jesus, look at what is around Jesus, and worship that, like worshiping Mary. She wants to veer off to the side. And what Jesus is saying is, no, 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 let me bring you back to my word. Let me bring you back on course here. Here's the first thing that I think can lead us astray, and that's getting distracted by the peripherals. As a church, it is extremely easy for us to be distracted by the peripherals. If this is uh, to follow along with the GPS uh, uh, analogy that I gave earlier, this would be like the billboards on the side of the road. Hey, turn off here. Come eat. Turn off here. Go do this. Think about this. Hey, what if we take this alternate route? As a GPS voice, I want to say, no, no, no. we got to stay on track and, and focus Jesus here as our center, just as we talked about. Focus on His Word because it's so easy to get distracted. It's so easy to get distracted and focus more on programming than our purpose. It's so easy to get distracted by saying, oh, you know what? I think we should go do this or go do that or go do this and totally leave our purpose as a church. We have got to stay focused. Psalm 119 puts it like this. I will mediate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your way. As a church and as individuals, this is what we have to do to be focused on God, to mediate on his precepts and fix my eyes on your way. We have got to not get distracted by the peripherals. Um, if you look in history, churches uh, oftentimes get distracted by different things. I'll give an example, and I've given this example before, of the missionary church. Uh, there's, uh, that's the denomination we're a part of, if you're not familiar with that. Uh, but there have been several denominations who have merged to become the current missionary church that we know today. If you follow one of those mergers back, uh, you will get to Bethel Missionary Church, who was one of the first missionary churches around to be planted, again, if you follow a certain uh, merging back to it. Uh, but that was my home church. It's over on Kiney Road 7, over in Elkhart County, in between Goshen and Wakarusa. And the reason that this church was started be was because there was a guy who went to a Mennonite church, Yellow Creek Mennonite. It's on the uh, Kiney Roads 38 and 11. I would pass by every day on my way to high school. 
It's still there today. You can find it. But he would go to that church, and he had some crazy ideas that they kicked him out for. You ready for these crazy ideas? He wanted to have a four-part harmony in, uh, in church. He wanted to have Sunday school. I know it, this is crazy, so stay with me. I know they're out off the wall, uh, bonker, uh, bonkers ideas here. Uh, he wanted to, get this, speak English instead of German in the church. I know, crazy. That way everyone could understand. He also wanted to have camp meetings so that people could come to faith easier. I mean, these are just off the walls ideas, right? I mean, but we, we look at these ideas and we go, man, that's just laughable. I can't believe you kick somebody out of your church for wanting to have Sunday school. Like, come on, like that's, that's crazy, right? And we, we can laugh at those ideas that have happened in the past, but I've often wondered, what are those things that, man, the church is doing today that hundreds of years ago or in the future, hundreds of years in the future, they're going to look back and laugh at and go, man, I can't believe you were focused on that. I can't believe you kicked people out of your church for that. Today, uh, those issues might be focused on COVID issues. Those might be focused on programming issues, on building issues. If you uh, hear from people who study church uh, church trends and who uh, uh, author Christian books on church uh, trends and things like that, they will tell you that the next five years in churches are going to be extremely treacherous that the majority of churches will have a significant conflict within the next five years because COVID has done some weird things to churches. People have gotten focused on the peripheral issues instead of focused on our purpose as a church. Now, here's what we got to do, Hillside. We got to focus on our purpose here. We can't get sidetracked. We got to keep going on. Ignore all the random billboards and turn off signs and just say, no, 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 we're going to do what God wants us to do. Because we can get so distracted by peripheral issues that we can start bickering over these things and be totally off base. In fact, it can lead to a lot of disunity, which leads me into my next one, which is disunity. This can happen. Think of the people of Israel. There are people who have different reaction to Jesus earlier in chapter 11. There are people that marveled. There are people that wanted signs. There were people that thought that he was just purely from Satan, right? And there are people who have different, differenting opinions about this. Listen, guys, we have got to stay. If we're going to stay on course as a church and as individuals, we have got to stay focused on our unity as we pursue uh, uh, fulfilling God's purpose for our church. And listen, you cannot uh, read the Bible, specifically the New Testament, and not be focused on unity. Take a look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree, and that there may be no divisions among you, but that you may be united in the same judgment. Uh, I'm sorry, in the same mind and the same judgment. 1 Peter 3:8 puts it like this. Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Philippians 2.2 says, Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accordance of one mind. Psalm 133 puts it like this, Behold, how good and pleasant is it when brothers dwell in unity. Carolyn read this for us earlier, 2 Corinthians 13.11. Finally, brothers, rejoice, aim for restoration, comfort one another, agree with one another, live in peace, and the God of love and peace will be with you. 
We have got to be focused on being unified. Jesus, as I've mentioned this several times earlier, in John chapter 17, has this high priestly prayer where He prays for us to be united. I want to highlight verse 23 here in His prayer. He says, I in them and you in me, He's talking to the Father right now, that they may become, look at this, perfectly one. How many churches have you been a part of that are perfectly one? Unfortunately, for many of us, that answer would be none. But we as a church, this is Jesus' prayer as he talks to God the Father, that we may be united perfectly as one. And look why. Look at this. Look at the outcome. So that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. I wonder if the church was more unified, how many more people would come to faith? I mean, let's be honest, our world is not unified right now. You can't turn on the TV or the news or the radio or whatever and say, oh, people think the same thing about just about everything. Actually, the opposite is pretty much true, right? People think differently about just about everything that there is to think about out there, right? Why should the church be that way? It shouldn't be. The church should be so focused on Christ, so focused on His Word, that we always agree that what Scripture says goes. And we say, all right, this is where we're going with things. This is, we don't always agree with it. We don't always understand it. But if God said it, we're doing it. And we are going to stay unified so that the world may know that God loves them. And there's a God out there that loves them so much that He wants to have a relationship with them. In fact, that He would go to the ends of giving His life on a horrific cross so that he could have a relationship with each and every one of us. This is what Jesus is saying. That's the level of unity that we need to have. The third one comes from uh, the fact that the Israelites are right now, uh, there's a group of them at least, that are looking for a sign. They're looking for a sign from Jesus. They're, they're saying, hey, give us a sign so that we know that you are who you actually say you are. Now, I want you to think about what they're doing. They're saying, essentially, okay, um, Jesus, I get what you've done. I get uh, uh, the different things that you have done. Um, I kind of have my own things that I would like for you to do. So if you could do those, that'd be great. That'd be awesome. And then I could totally come to faith uh, with you right now. That'd be awesome, Jesus. So if you could just go do that, that'd be, that'd be great. What are they doing? They're putting their preferences above God's will. And listen, church, as we stay on course, if we're going to do this, if we're going to stay on course, if we're going to stay on mission for Christ, we have got to put our preferences below God's will. We've got to put God's will above everything and say, you know what, we may not like this, but we know this is what God wants us to do, and so we're going to do it. Just like Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, Jesus puts it like this, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Jesus, as he's praying, to God the Father, towards the end of his life, uh, earthly life here on earth, uh, says this, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, look at this, not my will, but yours be done. You know, a lot of people would say, man, putting my will below someone else's, that's, that, that's, that's not great. I don't, I don't necessarily want to do that. And yet, look at this, Jesus does that with God the Father. He says, not my will, God, but yours be done. Even though Jesus is equal with God the Father, he puts his will below God's, God the Father to enact his plan for salvation for all. We need to do the same. Because as a church man, 
if we just say, man, I have preferences and uh, I want them met above all, and it is not going to end up well. But again, can I just commend you guys? Can, can, can I make you feel good real quick? Um, I don't know if you knew this, but about a month ago, this room had green carpet on the floor and red carpet on the stage, right? Not the most up-to-date stuff. Uh, most of the time when churches paint and re-carpet, there are a lot of complainers out there. A lot of people say, oh, I think you should paint it this color. And you know what? I don't think there's anything wrong with that carpet. I think the green carpet was fine. Let's keep it. I, I can't tell you how many pastors I've talked to have gone through renovations and all they get is pushback and all they get are complainers. Can I just brag on you guys for a minute? I haven't gotten one person who doesn't like this carpet and maybe you don't. Maybe you're saying, I think this is the ugliest thing in the world. I can't believe you picked this out. Who picked this out? Who, who was the committee that did this? This is ugly. I should have been on that committee. I could pick out something way prettier than that. I didn't get any of that. And can I just brag on you guys? I think that's amazing. And thank you for your faithfulness and flexibility. Even if you hate this carpet, thank you for keeping it to yourself. Because that's unhelpful, right? Like, just thank you. You guys are doing a great job. But again, I'm that GPS voice saying, hey, keep on going on. Keep on the course. Don't get distracted. Keep on putting your preferences below God's will. Keep on putting God's will above everything. Because here's the problem. If we don't, if we just put our preferences above everything, you know what this turns into? This turns into a really bad country club. I mean, this turns into a club where people bicker and they fight and a few get what they want, but everybody else uh, gets mad and it just doesn't turn out well. Hey, listen, church, we have got to keep putting God's will above everything else. Because when we continually put our preferences above everything else and we become more of a country club than a church, we forget our purpose. I think Israel, in this instance, when Jesus is correcting them, Israel has, as I said earlier, lost their purpose. Remember, God uh, worked through Abraham to bring up a nation so that he could reach the entire world with his message of redemption and that there is a God who loves them so much that would go through everything in order to have a relationship with him. They've forgotten that. Israel right now hates Gentiles, which why, again, would this uh, message that Jesus is telling them would be incredibly insulting. I mean, just incredibly insulting. They've forgotten their purpose. As a church, we cannot forget our purpose. As individuals, we cannot forget our purpose. And you might be saying, okay, what is that purpose? We look at a few different passages of Scripture. First of all, this one here, Matthew chapter 22, most often referred to as the greatest commandment. Uh, someone asked him, teacher, which is the great uh, commandment in the law? And Jesus answers them by saying this, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depends all the law and the prophets. The Pastor Josh translation of that is to love God with everything you got and love others as yourself. That's what we got to do. So that's the first one. And the second one is from here, Matthew chapter 28. This is the great commission that Jesus gives his disciples and all of his disciples here, including us, right, to go out and to make disciples. He says, go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. 
Here's the two passages of Scripture that we say, okay, as a church, our job is to love God with everything we've got, love others, and make disciples. So this is how we put it at Hillside, that God put us here, help people be connected with Jesus. So we have three C's, connected with Jesus. That's asking people to have a relationship, inviting them to have a relationship with Jesus, helping people to be connected, I'm sorry, connected and changed by Jesus. So this is that life transformation process. And lastly, to be committed to the mission of Jesus. That's where we start this process all over and we tell people about who Jesus are, but we also uh, have people that are committed to this, that go out, that tell their neighbors, their coworkers, their friends, their family members who don't know Christ, who he is, that there is a message of a loving God out there who has done everything, gone through everything to have a relationship with us. It's a free gift. All we need to do is accept. That's how we put that. And so as we stay on our purpose, everything that we do fits into one of those three C's. We're either helping people to be connected with Jesus, changed by Jesus, or committed to the mission of Jesus. Everything else it just gets laid on the wayside, and we forget about it. And we say, this is our purpose. But so often, what happens? We get distracted by those peripherals, don't we? We get distracted by kind of those weird issues, those one-off issues, those issues of preference rather than purpose and causes disunity. Church, again, I just want to be that GPS that tells us, hey, listen, continue on. Don't get distracted. Don't go off the ramps. Don't go off crazy land here. Just stay on route. It's going to be hard. We're in it for the long haul. But if we do, here's what I can promise you, that God will work through us. Here's the amazing message that Jesus gives us when he starts the church through one of his disciples, Peter. He says, I tell you, Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. The gates of hell shall not prevail against it. We know that the church will prevail. So the question is, are you going to be a part of that church? Are you going to choose to say, you know what, I'm not going to let my preferences drive things, and I will be unified with Christ and with other believers. I'm going to do this. Um, I'm going to be honest. Uh, we have it really good in our culture today. I mean, we can go to church. No one interrogated you before you came here. No one pulled you off to the side of the road, held a gun against your head and said, if you come to church this morning, I'm going to kill you. That's pretty good. We have it good here. You can pull out your phone and you can open up this app right there and just open up the Bible. I mean, it's really, really simple. And no one's going to stop you. We have access to God's Word. That's not everywhere in the world that's like that. If you're a believer in North Korea or in China or Afghanistan today, and you pulled open that Bible app in public, it's not going to end up well. In fact, do you know what they do to pastors in China if they know that you are meeting in a, in a church that is not sanctioned by the state? If they figure that out, they will show up on a Sunday morning, not to worship with you, but to arrest your pastor and throw him in jail so that you can no longer do what you're doing. I have never been threatened to be thrown in jail, and I count that as a blessing. You know what happens if uh, they find that you have the YouVersion Bible app on your phone in Afghanistan? You pull that open, and a member of the Taliban is right there. They will pull out a gun. They put a bullet in your head. That's sad. 
Last week, that's why we prayed for the believers in the church in Afghanistan. Listen, church, we have it really good. Let's not blow it. Let's not hear what Israel heard from Jesus. It said, there were Gentiles who came to faith on crumbs. And now they're going to condemn you. Would Jesus look at the church today in our culture in North America and say, the church of Afghanistan is going to judge you and condemn you? The church in North Korea, the church in China condemns you and judges you because you had everything going for you. And you got distracted by the peripherals. And you became disunified. Listen, I'm not suggesting that we, uh, you know, I, I want a government to come in and arrest me or shoot people for having the Bible app. I don't think that's a good idea either. But here's what I do know. That the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. Let's be a part of God's church. And let's not get distracted. Let's continue on to stay on the course and glorify God above everything else. Not putting my preferences above anything, but putting God's will and His purpose for our church and us as individuals above everything. And here's what I know. We can do this. You've shown me that in the past couple of years. We are capable of doing it. And as long as I'm your pastor, I can guarantee you this too. As your pastor, I'm going to keep us on track. That we are not getting distracted by the peripherals. We are not becoming disunified. We are not forgetting about our purpose. And we're not putting our preferences above God's purpose. Let's continue on doing this, church. Let's show our kids how to do this. Let's pass on a legacy of faith and show the world who Jesus is. That united together, we can show who God is. And we can invite people in to something that is qualitatively different than the rest of the world can offer. We can invite them into a loving relationship with God who gave it all. Will you be that church with me, church? Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for your word today. And God, as we looked at kind of a weird passage where people have been led off course, God, I pray that we would never be led off course. God, would you help us stay so laser focused on what you have for us that we would just forget everything else and be totally consumed by who you are, by the purpose that you have for us, by your will for each and every one of us. Jesus, would you help us to do that? I thank you for a group of believers who is faithful, who is flexible, who puts their preferences below your will, God, and says, we will follow you above all else. We will continue and glorify you. We will stay on course. We will not be led astray. I thank you that I'm a pastor of a church who does that. And I pray for each and every one of us here that as Satan would tempt us to be led astray, Jesus, I pray that you would protect us and that we would say, no way am I doing that. No way am I getting distracted. No way am I putting my preference above your will, God. It's your way and your way only, and I'm going to stay on course. I'm going to finish the race. 
I'm going to fight the good fight, as Paul says. And I'm going to pass down a legacy of faith to my children and their children and their children, Jesus. I am giving you everything. You are the focus of my life. And you will continue to be the focus of my life. God, would you help us to be a church who solely focuses on you? And God, as you call us to do things, I pray that you would keep us unified. That we wouldn't have a bickering mindset, that we fight with others in order to get what we want. But God, we would put your will above everything to fulfill the purpose that you have given to us. We believe that that's a better life than we could ever forge ourselves. We thank you for sending your one and only son to die a horrific death on a cross for us on our behalf. Jesus, I pray if there's anyone here who hasn't given their life to Christ, that they would do it today. That they would see something so qualitatively different than anything else that the world can offer. That they would say, there is a God who loves me. Jesus, we put this all in your hands. And it's in your life-transforming name we pray. Amen.